Welcome to the Reunion Belleville podcast, a place where everyday people apprentice to Jesus. We're glad you pulled up a seat and we hope that today's lead-in encourages you to take your next step. I never used to be a morning person. It was always much more natural for me to stay up far too late and then sleep in as long as possible. What about you guys? Would you define yourself more as a morning person or not a morning person at all? I suppose nobody's uh, a morning person the morning after daylight savings, but I never used to be a morning person. In high school, I would always stay in bed until the absolute last second to make it to school on time. I knew exactly how much time I needed to get dressed, grab my things, and get out the door. And breakfast was for chumps. I did this so I could stay in bed as long as possible. This behavior continued into the jobs I got after high school, and then later into university. I was not a morning person. But at a certain point, I realized that this uh, sort of behavior was affecting my attitude quite a bit. I was unpleasant in the mornings, grumpy, and I didn't like that about myself. So I determined uh, that if I tried to wake up earlier and start my day with something I enjoy, maybe I could arrive at work or arrive at my classes or wherever with a bit of a better attitude. So I began to do this. I started to get out of bed intentionally earlier in the morning so I could start my day with something I enjoy in the best way possible, obviously with Batman cartoons. And I discovered that getting out of bed in the morning was a lot easier when you were getting out of bed for something that you enjoy. And over a small amount of time practicing this, I actually began to enjoy my mornings and looked forward to them. So much so that I started waking up even earlier so I'd have time to have breakfast as well with the cartoons and then even earlier so I'd have time to maybe watch more Batman cartoons and even earlier so I, I could start reading in the morning. And as I continued to do this, I found that I became a lot more pleasant first thing in the morning when I was arriving at work or showing up to my classes. Getting out of bed was much easier than before. And now, after years of doing this, it's very natural for me to wake up early in the morning. And I've grown to quite enjoy the mornings I get to spend quietly by myself with my coffee, reading my Bible. I have a hard time uh, now imagining not doing it. And I still enjoy sleeping in quite a bit. And I still enjoy a good late night from time to time. I'm still not technically sure if I qualify as a morning person, but I changed. My actions, habits, and routines were shaping me one way, but when I changed them, it also changed and shaped the person I became. Or maybe better put, the things you do, do something to you. This phrase has become a very significant refrain for me in my apprenticeship to Jesus. The things you do, do something to you. Everyone is in the process of becoming someone and the things we do on a day-to-day -day basis from when we wake up in the morning to when we go to bed at night and everything in between is shaping the people we will become. Where we go to get food, what we do with our money, how we relieve our stress, what or who we go to for comfort, the things we watch, listen to, or read, the things we say about ourselves, the way we treat others, and so much more all play a role in the person we are becoming. 
whether we are aware, are aware of it or not. The things we do do something to us. We are all becoming someone. We are all shaped by the things we do. It can be a scary and sobering question to sit back and reflect and ask ourselves, what is forming me and who am I becoming? As apprentices of Jesus, I believe it's extremely important for us to not only be able to answer these questions, but to sit under Jesus as Lord and teacher so uh, we can be shaped and formed by his practices so that we can eventually become more like him. Some call this concept spiritual formation, and these practices we do to become more like Jesus are often called spiritual disciplines. These are ongoing tools or practices that we use to take control of the ways that we are being formed. And in doing so, we can become more intentional about the people we're becoming. So the past several weeks during this season of Lent, we've been talking about and practicing fasting. If you haven't been here or if your memory is still buffering because of the time change, here's a quick recap. A few weeks ago, Wes began this conversation by sharing about fasting being a way that we connect our souls with our bodies that we're not just souls or spirits in a body, we're souls and a body. That our bodies are good and gifts given to us by God. Last week, he shared about fasting being a way that our souls and body can respond to grief or to repent and a way for our bodies to pray without speaking. And this week, I'd like to add to the conversation by sharing about fasting as an ongoing practice of spiritual formation and ultimately answer the question, what does fasting do to you? If the things we do do something to us, what does fasting do to us? So if you've got a Bible handy with you or have the Bible on your phone or your tablet or your laptop or your smartwatch or your pocket calculator or your Palm Pilot, uh, let's crack those bad boys open to Matthew 6. And we'll start in verse 1 just, just to uh, establish some context for what Jesus is talking about. And then we'll jump down to verses 16 through 18, where he specifically mentions fasting. And I know it's a bit of, uh, a bit of jumping around, but uh, you'll be fine. So I'm reading from the New Living Translation, if that matters to anybody. And this specific section of scripture comes from the Sermon on the Mount, one of Jesus' most famous sections of teaching, and one I come back to quite a lot personally. So this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. After his baptism, he then fasts for 40 days, is tempted by the devil, which I think Wes will be speaking on later in this series. And after that, he gives the Sermon on the Mount. So we're jumping in partway. Jesus has already said a bunch of really cool stuff, and we're picking it up in chapter 6, verse 1, which says, Watch out! Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. For you will lose the reward your father has uh, for you in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. So Jesus is talking here about generosity. And he continues sharing similar sentiments about how to pray in verse 5. And then later in verse 8, he gives us the Lord's Prayer. He continues by giving instructions about forgiveness in verse 14. So what Jesus is talking about here is he's giving uh, instructions on various spiritual practices, everyday practices of uh, part of his apprentices' lives 
giving instructions about them. And so finally, in verse 16, he gives us instructions on fasting as a spiritual practice. And he says, uh, And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. Then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private. And your father who sees everything will reward you. Jesus does not give us instructions on why we should fast or when, but he just assumes that we will. He does not say if you fast. He says when you fast. And he also lumps this teaching in with other spiritual formation practices like prayer, generosity, and forgiveness that are just sort of these everyday practices uh, that we all incorporate into our spiritual lives. And while we could do a whole other teaching about the content that Jesus is saying here about the posture of our heart and how we fast and our intentions behind our spiritual practices, but the, the real reason I'm bringing up this passage of scripture is because it emphasizes that Jesus intends for his disciples and apprenticeship uh, apprentices to fast. Jesus talks about fasting as if it, it's something he assumes his uh, disciples and apprentices are going to do and are maybe already doing. And the early church continued this practice after Jesus' resurrection, and I think it's something that uh, continues to be important for us to practice today. When Wes asked me to speak, he actually told me I could speak about whatever I wanted, which I feel was rather risky of him, uh, but he did not request that I continue the conversation about fasting. But I asked if it was all right that I did continue the conversation about fasting because I felt like I had something to add to the conversation because I actually started practicing fasting last fall, which I'd like to tell you a bit about. So around late August, early September of 2022, after doing some reading and listening to some teachings about fasting, I felt like I was being invited by the Holy Spirit to start practicing fasting on a weekly basis. I personally have a lot of food issues in that I'm prone to use food and comfort eating as a coping mechanism for my stress or my depression, which has led to a pretty broken relationship with food. And as a result, a pretty broken body image as well. And it was out of these things that I felt led to start fasting. So I picked a start date to try a 24-hour fast where I would eat dinner one night and fast until dinner the next night, skipping breakfast and lunch. And this is the same sort of fast that we've been practicing the past few weeks over Lent. So naturally, this was something that scared me quite a bit. I work a job that's quite physical, and I had a lot of fears and anxieties about having to work all day without any food or coffee. Fasting without coffee is like fasting on hard mode. So leading up to my first attempt, I almost chickened out or talked myself out of it multiple times. Maybe you guys can relate to this in the past few weeks when we've been actually practicing fasting. But I figured if I at least tried it once, I mean, worst case scenario, I failed miserably. But if it also just ended up being an unhealthy train wreck for me, I figured I'd be able to regroup and uh, adjust my approach and maybe um, start smaller if I needed to. So I figured I might as well try. So I had dinner that night and I brushed my teeth and then started my fast, which is an important side note. And I feel like a pro tip for fasting. I mentioned this at our table group um, last Wednesday. When you're starting your fast, 
brush your teeth. And I don't mean the lazy, half-hearted, I'm pretty much already asleep, but I'm just going to do the bare minimum oral hygiene so I don't feel like a total slob kind of brush. I mean like a intense, deep clean of your whole mouth, like floss, mouthwash, tongue scraper, pressure washer, the whole thing. You know how good your mouth feels after you brush and floss your teeth properly? I feel like that's the one physical benefit of, of fasting is that your mouth gets to feel amazing the whole time. And I actually personally, this uh, helps me push off my hunger cravings because I don't want to mess up how clean my mouth is. You obviously still get super hungry, but your teeth feel amazing. So anyways, I mean, just, just try it out. You might, you might like it, but if not, I, I mean, hey, at least you brushed your teeth. Um, anyway, I brushed my teeth and I started my fast and I went to bed and I woke up hungry. And instead of making myself coffee, making breakfast, and packing a lunch for the day as I normally do, and then sitting down for a few minutes with my Bible before leaving for work, uh, I simply poured myself a glass of water and was able to spend a good long chunk of meaningful time praying and meditating with the scriptures, where usually I'm under more of a time crunch to make it to work on time. Without having to prepare food, I was freed up to spend more time sitting in rest with Yahweh. And as I did that this mo- or that morning, feeling hungry and quite vulnerable and nervous for the day ahead, I felt like the Spirit was saying to me, I will sustain you. I will sustain you. Which was a refrain I was able to carry with me all day long. Anytime I was hungry, I repeated in my head, Yahweh will sustain me. Yahweh will sustain me. And I truly felt a closeness with the Father that I didn't, and I don't think that I would have felt otherwise. And I know that sound, or that makes me sound like a hyper spiritual sort of person, but here's where the story takes a bit of an unexpected turn. And I promise you, no one is expecting what I'm about to say. Uh, if you have a guess, hold on to it, and you can see if you were right. So. After I've had this really unexpectedly moving experience fasting all day where I felt the Holy Spirit speaking to me, um, it's late afternoon and I'm finishing work, preparing to go home and break my fast, and I get a phone call from Rebecca. And she tells me that a bunch of friends she knows through work are all spontaneously going to a demolition derby that evening, and we were invited to come along. Did anybody guess demolition derby? What good fasting story doesn't end with a demolition derby? So we decide to go, and we have to go pretty much right from work, so there's no time for dinner, but that's okay. We figured there'd be food trucks there that we we could eat at once we're there. So long story short, we get there with our group of friends. We find a spot, and we're waiting for this thing to start, and a few other people were wanting some food. So I said, hey, there's no sense in all of us waiting to stand in line, so why don't I just go and get everyone's food and bring it back here? So I'm taking everyone's orders and money and uh, I go over to this one single food truck at this demolition derby and the line is bananas long. But I figure worst case scenario, it takes maybe 45 minutes and I miss you know a little bit of the derby, no big deal. If only that was the case. I stood in that line for hours, and I'm not even joking, missed the entire event. I got the food about 15 minutes after the whole thing ended. 
But uh, something strange happened as I stood waiting in the line. As I stood there, having not eaten in about 30 hours at that point, surrounded by frustrated, hungry people and listening to cars smash into each other in the distance, in theory, I should be hungry and frustrated too. But for the hours I waited, I found myself completely patient and at peace the whole time. It was as if I'd been freed from any sort of frustration or anxiety about food. I was not bothered that I had to wait so long. My hunger was present, but I didn't feel controlled by it. The irony of the situation was not lost on me of the person standing in line who had probably gone the longest amount of time without food and was maybe the hungriest, was also the one that cared the least whether he got any food at all. I processed a lot as I waited, how it seemed so silly how, how much of our world revolves around food, how much we let food control and dictate our lives, how much time we spend on meal planning or money we spend on groceries or takeout, or how much time we spend simply trying to decide on what we feel like eating, or how much time we waste standing in line at a food truck at a demolition derby. To live in such a privileged, privileged, privileged culture that we're surrounded by food on a day-to-day -day basis, yet still be so controlled and have so much anxiety about food. I personally have never known what it's like to not know where my next meal comes from. Meanwhile, other people in the world have no access to food at all and have to unwillingly skip meals and go to bed hungry not knowing where their next meal will come from. I understand that our bodies still need food and that food is a good thing. And I know that there's a lot of complexities about food in our world and I do not mean to make light of them. But through fasting, I was able to briefly be set free from the burden of food and be at peace knowing Yahweh will sustain me. I do not intend to be reductive towards anyone's fears or personal struggles towards fasting, and I do not mean to be reductive towards food in general. I say this all from a totally privileged vantage point, and I know a lot of people have a lot of personal struggles with food. And I know there's a lot of medical reasons to not fast, or maybe it's just not the right time at this point in your apprenticeship. I do not mean to guilt anyone into doing anything unhealthy. Again, I'm just doing my best to speak from my personal experience. But before we end, and I, I would like to take a few minutes to uh, share with you what I found to be the answer to this question that I posed earlier, what does fasting do to you? And this is by no means an exhaustive list, but just some reflection from my own personal experience. The first being, what does fasting do to you? It forces you to put food in its place, or to take it a step further, to put our body's desires in their place. It's a good thing to eat and to properly nourish ourselves. Food is a good thing, but it be can become very easy to let your body's desires and cravings control you instead of you controlling them. The way that you might feel like you have to have a coffee anytime you drive anywhere longer than 20 minutes, or the feeling of having to buy popcorn at the movie theater to be able to enjoy the movie, or you have to have that beer when you come home from work every night, or whatever it is. None of these things are inherently bad actions in and of themselves, but when we feel like we have no control or ability to say no over them is when it can become an issue. Through fasting, we practice self-denial, which is something that Jesus taught and something 
everyone who follows Jesus is called to. And through self-denial and through fasting, we can regain some control over our desires instead of them having control over us. Practicing fasting is a practical way to put God in front of those desires as a way of saying, my body needs this thing to survive, but I will willingly refuse myself access to it for a period of time as a way of reminding myself that connection with Yahweh God is more important, that I am in charge of my desires. My desires are not in charge of me. I think intentionally doing this can make space for deeper connection with God and for the Spirit to speak to you in ways that we might otherwise miss. The second thing, what does fasting do to us? It puts us in a position to stand in solidarity with the poor and the hungry. I won't speak for everyone here, but as people who are mostly privileged when it comes to food, a lot of us don't know what it's like to be truly hungry or to not know where our next meal is coming from. Jesus calls us to feed the hungry and take care of the, for, the poor, and fasting is a way that we can empathize with those who are hungry and to pray with them or for them with more than just our words and ultimately enables us to be more compassionate towards them. In my own experience, knowing what it feels like to go without food has caused me to see more hunger in people. This past fall, Rebecca and I took a weekend trip to Ottawa and we walked downtown. Uh, as we walked downtown, I saw on one part of the sidewalk a group of people happily feeding scraps of bread uh, to pigeons. While a little further down, completely still within sight, were several people asking for change to buy a meal. We're happy to give scraps of our food to pigeons, but we totally walk past the hungry people on the street. I've noticed that since I started fasting, I've noticed a lot more hungry people and I have a lot more empathy for them. And when you feed a hungry person who's genuinely in need of food, you can understand them a bit more, knowing a little bit about where they're coming from. Fasting can open up your eyes to seeing hunger in more spaces and places where you otherwise might have overlooked it. And lastly, what does fasting do to us? It can make us more generous. Since fasting, I've found myself more open and more compelled to feed others in hospitality and more compelled to give money or food to those asking for it, whereas before I may have just walked by. One way we can do this practically is when fasting to figure out the amount of money you would have spent on food in the time you didn't eat and put that money in the hands of someone who is hungry. So if you would have spent maybe $15 on the breakfast and lunch you skipped, taking that money and donating it to a charity that feeds people or putting it in someone's change bucket when we uh, pass them outside a store or just keeping that money aside in your car for a time that you run into somebody who needs a meal or, or see someone, you can give them that money. Um, through doing this, our voluntary refusal to eat literally feeds someone else, which is a beautiful thing. I also personally have found this to be a really powerful motivator to continue fasting when it feels difficult, knowing it's actually for the benefit of someone else. Again, this is no, by no means an exhaustive uh, or complete list, and there's lots of other ways fasting as a spiritual discipline can change and shape you. These are just a few.
Thank you for listening to today's lead-in. We pray that you were able to learn something about Jesus today, but equally important, we pray that you sense a step you might take in response. What would it look like for you to live with Jesus today in light of our discussion? You can learn more about our community at www.reunionbelleville.com and we're always here to walk with you.